Hello, and welcome to the Leadership Collective Podcast, a conversation focusing on the challenges that leaders face in ministry. Each month, we sit down with seasoned ministry leaders to discuss the nuts and bolts of how they've navigated specific challenges in ministry and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm Ted Leavenworth, pastor of Reliance Church in Temecula, California. And I'm Rob Sabato, lead pastor at Calvary Vista in Vista, California. So number one, but they need to love Jesus and love you in that order. Otherwise, you just have a gang. Yeah, yeah, Wayne. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne. Well, no, it's got to be Jesus. What does Jesus want? I'm, I'm begging you. I'm imploring you. Please help me to hear Jesus, not that I get my way. In today's episode, we tackle the subject of church boards. We're looking at what makes for a healthy board, what makes for toxic boards, how to fix a board that is broken, not functioning well. We're going to consider various board structure models. Uh, We're going to look at the optimal skill set for candidates for your board, Um, healthy board practices. We're going to discuss issues such as term limits and uh, what do you do if you've got the wrong person on your board and maybe a whole lot of other things you never wanted to think about, but things that could really cause you lasting damage to your ministry if you don't think about it. Uh, Rob and I are joined today by Wayne Cordero. Wayne is a respected leader. He's the founding pastor of New Hope Christian Fellowship in Honolulu, Hawaii. He's a church planter with over 124 churches planted both nationally and internationally. Wayne has authored 12 books, and he is currently serving on the board of directors of New Hope Christian College and certainly has a lot to add to this conversation. Uh, This will be Wayne's second appearance on our our, uh, Leadership Collective episodes. And I'm really looking forward to that. Well, welcome to the conversation, Wayne. Absolutely. It's a thrill each time I'm with you, Rob. Yeah, I should have said welcome back. This is... uh, (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I'm like a boomerang. You know, you throw me away, I come back. (laughs) We love that because we considered an honor to have you on the show with us. So appreciate it. You bet. So let me, let me just kind of start the conversation throwing this broad uh, question out. If you guys could have your dream board, uh, what would it look like and why? Rob, what do you say? <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> oh, man. So I think I, my dream board would be, it would consist of a broad group of guys as far as in you know, age group and experience. It would be a group of guys that obviously are radically in love with Jesus. Um, it would include Paul, the apostle. Uh, being <laughs> a- <laughs> and, um, but, but it would really be, it would include a group of guys that are as focused and as passionate for the ministry that I'm leading as I am. And that's the thing that I find to be a little bit of a challenge is, you know, because guys, you know, they, they have their own things that they're doing and this is just one of the things that they're doing. So my dream board would be, you know, a group of guys that are just all, you know, hundred percent focused and as passionate about it as me. Yeah. I think for me, uh, 
I'm just writing a few notes here. Uh, I think for me, because the ultimate uh, buck will stop with the pastor. And so I've got to get people around me that are smarter than me in a wide circle of things that I'm going to face. Yes. So I need to take a look at and forecast what am I going to face? Maybe some things in finances, some things hiring and firing, succession, um, expansion, uh, how fast, the pace of growth, and uh, building. And so I write those notes down, and then I'm, I'm praying about who has those gifts and maturity that I can surround myself with. So that would be the... Uh, beginnings, the inception, the embryonic inceptions of those that at least would fit somewhat those categories. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. You know, um, it occurs to me as I, as I consider the question for myself, um, something that each of you said um, sticks out, the guys that love Jesus, um, which seems to be a given, but, you know, you want guys that are, that are passionate, that, that uh, they're not just phoning things in. Um, they're concerned about our ministry. They've got the finger, their finger on the pulse of what's going on with our ministry. Um, I think that that's that's critically important, especially you know you, when you, we have outside people on your board, guys that aren't part of your organization, um, uh, and which is which is fine um, and uh, and all. And but they should have some you know some bit of finger on the pulse of what's going on with within the organization. And then Wayne, you're pointing out that guys that are smarter than you and in areas that, um, you and by know, the way, that's we, not hard to do. <laughs> well, you took the words out of my mouth for myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, guys that, uh, that, you know, it's not their first rodeo kind of thing and they, they can bring in wisdom in areas, especially where, where you're lacking in it. So I, w- I would agree with that as well. And you know, when you talk about people that love you, you know, make sure that they're your friends. Yeah. And, because uh, it's it's hard to work with people you don't like. <laughs> yeah. and, and even though they have gifts in certain areas, if you don't like them or if they're they're suspicious of you, you're in trouble from the beginning because right. they're going to sabotage things they don't agree with. They just won't disagree with you. They'll sabotage. Right. Those. So number one, but they need to love Jesus and love you in that order. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, you just have a gang. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Wayne. Yeah, Wayne. Wayne. <laughs> it's got to be Jesus. What does Jesus want? I'm, I'm begging you. I'm imploring you. Please help me to hear Jesus. Not that I get my way. Yeah, I had a friend of mine that uh, once said to me that uh, he is looking for guys on his board who come into the meeting wanting to say yes, wanting to, uh, to further. Uh, the ministry objectives of of the pastor. They come in, you know, believing in the pastor's call and vision and so on. But um, but they're prepared to say no if they need to say no, or prepared to put on the brakes if they need to put on the brakes. And I think that's a good balance, guys that come in, because sometimes, and I think maybe we've all experienced it, where we have a guy uh, on our board um, that comes into the meeting, you know, with uh, with a posture of his arms crossed and and uh, the attitude of, uh, I'm here to say no, uh, unless you can give me a compelling reason to say yes, and that's a horrible way to to start any conversation. You know, and I really like the idea of guys who are, you know, they're like minded, and you feel like you're running together. You yeah, know, you're running 
same pace and you're running, you know, in the same direction. And, you know, one of the things that we do with, with our church board is I tell, you know, the guys that anybody on this team can cast vision. We call it our three C's. Anyone can cast vision. It doesn't have to, you know, it's not just all going to come from me. You know, they, they have vision for, you know, our church that they can cast that vision. And then we look to our leadership team or our board to confirm the, the vision is like, are we all on board with that or else sensing the same thing? And then we look to our staff and the body and our volunteers to then carry out the vision. And, um, and so I, I really like that idea of, you know, not just yes men. Um, but I, I always say that I come into, you know, a meeting with sort of very narrow vision and those guys in the room, they'll, open my eyes will expand my vision by the things that they're seeing and sensing, you know, from the Lord and what's going on, you know, in our church. And so them being guys who, like you said, first and foremost, love Jesus. I would add this, they love Jesus. They love you. And they love the body. They love your church. And, um, you know, they have a heart for, uh, the body. And I, I love having a group of guys like that around me. I think another thing that's going to be important is to, in the embryonic approaches of building a, a board together, is you'll need to know what needs to be the ingredients that are already present, the sort of like the givens, uh, giftedness, smarts, friendship, loving Jesus, loving the church, being involved. Those all have to be in place. But then you have to take a look at your own play. What must I teach them, orient them? assimilate them into that they may not already know, but it is my responsibility to take that, let's say 80% has to be given, 20% has to be taught, such as governance, transparency, conflict of interest, Robert's rules of orders, you know, um, who the stockholders are as uh, the terminology goes, and all of these things that have to be taught them, and maybe even seminars or sessions or clinics that you can go to so that they will learn together the corporate sense of doing things correctly. I, <clears throat> when I first put a board together, I just kind of put together a rogues and renegades like me, and we just said, let's go get them. Let's pioneer this thing. You know, let's take that uh, uh, enemy. And so we went after it, but everything we did was wrong. We didn't have board minutes. Well, we didn't have Robert's Rules of Orders. We didn't know how to first and second our own meals. You know, we just, uh, it, it was just chaotic. But we got stuff done. Yeah. But when it came time to make sure that we were corporately in line, it, it was chaos. Yeah. So mm. certain amounts that you, you need to teach and you need to know as a leader. Yeah, let's lean into that a little bit. I think that's good because... You know, even you know, I, we could all. I'm sure we all have horror stories, um, and uh, and you know, one of the horror stories that I was involved in was uh, uh, a church where um, there was uh, there was a merger that was taking place, and uh, and the church that was merging into the existing church, um, their financials weren't in order. Um, they we could not find a set of minutes um, that you know, had, had been taken for years, uh, in, in regards to this church. And, um, and so those basic ideas about, you know, about taking minutes, somebody, you know, and this is the role of the secretary of the board. I mean, it's not just a title, 
you know, when we have a board, we have a president of the board, we have a secretary of the board, we have a treasurer of the board. Some boards have a vice president, which isn't required legally that you have, um, but it, it is if your minutes, or rather if your bylaws stipulate that the vice president's role is to uh, be the one to assume the role of the president in, in, you know, matters of transition or what have you. But, you know, these aren't just officer titles that, you know, are required uh, by law, which they are, um, but they're actual roles that uh, people need to fulfill. And, and the taking of the minutes and the, the reading of the minutes at the subsequent, uh, subsequent board meeting to be able to say, this is what was discussed, this is what was resolved, and everybody having the opportunity to confirm those minutes and, uh, and then move on with, with the new board meeting and so on. So, um, yeah, leaning into that is, uh, is uh, those kind of things. Um, and I, I suppose that that kind of opens up the the question to how do you vet these guys? How how do you how do you find you you had mentioned Wayne about uh, about even training and seminars and so on. But um, just in terms of and I and I'm thinking for the guy who either has a, a board that that maybe you know they're they're hearing this podcast so far and they're thinking man I, my board needs some work or maybe a guy is just planting just starting out and he he's never even thought in terms of having a board or whatever so so i i guess we could lean into um how do you go about uh finding these guys how do you go about getting this type of uh, help with structure and that's a, that's a broad question for yeah. all y'all well let me circle back first um <clears throat> one of the things that's going to be important with the board is is that they understand what your the bylaws of the church are, especially if you're an independent church. Your bylaws have to be watertight. Yeah. And one of my suggestions would be we joined um, Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF, mm-hmm. and for a nominal cost. And one of the best things in the world that they do is they have you send their your documents to them, your bylaws, your constitutional whatevers, and your mission statements, et cetera. Even if you have a handbook or a policy book of your staff, their attorneys will go through it to make sure it is watertight because uh, if you're successful at all, uh, you're going to get nailed. Mm. So if your church grows, you're going to become a target. It's as big as your church is, it's as big as your target's going to be. So we sent it in. They made some corrections and some suggestions, and it helped us so much. And I would encourage everybody to check out Alliance Defending Freedom. For a nominal cost, you can join uh, their group, and they'll uh, assess and evaluate all of your documents. That's fantastic. We'll add that to our show notes to, for, for this episode as a resource. Yeah, thing, oh, sorry, Rob. Go ahead. Go ahead. The other thing I think is important is when I choose board members, uh, these are the things that I look for. Number one, I say their primary responsibility is to look out for the pastor and his family's welfare. Because mm-hmm. if the pastor burns out or if the pastor is eating, you know, uh, ramen every <laughs> night, uh, if, if he can't support his kids or he's behind on his bills, then he has to look for a job, a part-time job, full-time and a half job. The church is going to suffer. So you have a healthy pastor, you have a healthy church. You have a healthy pastor's marriage, you're going to have healthy marriages in your church. 
because if you think about it this way, we can teach what we know, but ultimately we're going to reproduce what we are. Yeah. And so that pastor, if he's struggling with his marriage, you're going to have people struggling. Yeah. So number one is they look out for the pastor's a family, his marriage, his personal health, and the welfare thereof. That's number one. If they're really good at finances and uh, interrogating your finances and auditing your uh, your decisions, uh, it's not going to help the church. It ain't going to grow. Oh, well, what if they're really good in polity? Great, but it's not going to grow the church. A healthy pastor with a healthy marriage and a healthy financial condition will help grow the church because then his mind is free to think about the sheep and their condition rather than himself and his condition. That's a good word. You know, when I first planted, I planted my first church, um, my board was, it can, was, it consisted of um, other pastors, um, partly because I didn't know anybody. (laughs) He didn't have any friends. I didn't have any, um, you know, I didn't know who, you know, had experience, who was wise. So um, all of my, the guys on my board, and it was quite small, probably about four or five guys. They were all other, you know, pastors. Um, My sending pastor was a part of it. Um, One of our admin pastors at the church that sent me and then a couple of friends. But as quick as I could, I, I sought to move the board and this was just my own personal conviction in a direction where the the guys on our board were all from our church and um you know they were all guys that because i really wanted you know guys who could have a pulse of what was going on and see you know what was going on and be close enough to me and to you know what we were doing to be able to speak into it and give insight into it and now at the church that I'm pastoring, I've been here 25 years, um, we have a, a group that is very much like that. It's all guys who are here at the church. Just a few of the guys are on staff um, and most of the rest of them are not. It's kind of half and half at this point. But one of the things that I've sought to do over the years that I found to be really, really helpful is to have a broad mix of not just skill set, but also um age in the sense that we have some empty nesters. Um, We have some guys on our board who have kids in our uh, children's ministry. We have guys on our board that have kids in our youth ministry. And I really wanted to have that type of broad perspective so that I had guys around me who had a pulse for every aspect of our our ministry and what we were doing and, and you know, a sense that they could speak into it. And so one of the ways that we choose our, our guys on our board is when we have an opening, um, we actually have terms. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit, but our terms are three years. And then after three years, you go off for a year and then you can opt to come back on. But when somebody opts out, um, and there's an opening, I basically say to the guys on our team, there's, 12 of them. And I say, you know, Hey, I want you guys to be praying. I want you to think about um, some guys that you think would be a good fit for what we're doing here that have the qualifications that have the right heart that have proven themselves to be, you know, faithful here in the body. And um, 
email me their names. And then what I do is I look for the reoccurring names. And so when I have four or five guys that are all sending me and they, you know, the same name is popping up, then at our next meeting, we kind of vet that person and we'll talk about, you know, that person. And, um, and then, you know, if we, if he's vetted and we all feel good about him, then I'll approach him about, you know, being a part. So that's, that's kind of the way that we function and um, have done so for about 25 years. And it's, it's worked out really well for us. Wow, I love our, our team. You, uh, you know, uh, mentioned how you had started out and, and a lot of guys have, you know, what we could term as starter boards, you know, and sometimes a right. starter board is uh, you don't have an official board as you're maybe, maybe for a church planter, um, you operate under your sending churches board where uh, that board is, is your over, you know, is your covering and, and so on and um, and so I've seen it done that way. Sometimes uh, you start with a few trusted friends, and uh, maybe you're sending pastors. You experienced uh, Rob that that uh, that's very common for a guy who goes out and and starts that way. And then um, and then there is then you get into okay, let's transition from this starter board to you know to what our permanent board is. And there's different schools of thought. Some guys you've got twelve guys on your board. Uh, Rob and um, and twelve disciples. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, and that's a lot. Um, most guys I know have smaller boards than that. That that uh, um, um, it's not unheard of, but most guys have smaller boards. And there's different philosophies on that too. Some guys have the philosophy that you should keep your board as small, um, you know, as uh, as necessary. Um, and, uh, and other guys, you know, go to varying degrees. I personally, I have, um, five members on, on my board. Um, and, uh, sometimes we have even numbers and that goes to something else to where, you know, okay, well, what, what if you have a split vote and, you know, it's 50, 50 and, and that goes to philosophy of ministry for us in our bylaws, it's the majority rules, but, um, but we, we tend to, if we've got dissenters on the board, we put the brakes on it, and we take that as an indicator that we need to pray. So, um, and so, all of our resolutions are unanimous, but it but it's not because we're always unanimous. It's just that we wait on issues until we are all unanimous. But we don't need to, according to the bylaws. But uh, so, I currently have an odd number, which allows for uh, majority rules uh, uh, and so on. But I've had six members on my board. I think that's as many as I have had. I don't know, Wayne, what do you think about that in terms of total number of guys? Yeah, whatever you're comfortable with, you know, there's no uh, one rule, but uh, we have seven and we have an odd number because if we need to uh, have discussion and, uh, but we have seven, uh, I think it's a minimum of seven, maximum of nine, three year terms like Rob, you have, and uh, they rotate off for a year and then they can come back on the other thing that I watch for is uh, not only, you know, ones that'll look for my welfare of the, of the pastor and his family, because I look after the welfare of the staff and their families, but no one's going to do it for me. Right. The board, the board does it for me. I don't want to do it for myself, less <laughs> self-serving or seen as self-promotional. So that's the board's responsibility. But the second thing is I, I ask them to watch for heresy mm-hmm. in any form in teaching or spirit. 
So which requires them to mingle and be a part of the church. And Rob, I understand about, you know, the sending pastor and other pastors being a part of that. But like you said, ultimately, they need to know what's going on in that local body of believers. So they need to be a part of the ministries. They need to be mingling. They need to be engaged. So when they sense heresy, for example, let's say I'm teaching one thing from the pulpit and in one of the Sunday school classes, they'll hear a teacher say, well, you know, I know that's what Wayne says, but, you know, that's Old Testament or that's New Testament. And let me give you the, the fuller view. Uh, I need to know about that yeah. because we, we don't allow disunity. And if he has a beef or if he needs arm wrestle with me, we'll arm wrestle in my office, but not in public like right. that. So yeah. the second thing is they watch for heresy in any form in theology in word or in spirit. And then the third thing is they really need to have savvy or um, understanding and competency in understanding uh, finances. Uh, That is a very important thing. I I don't need someone to be a critic about finances or a cynic about finances. They need to be competent about finances and uh, they need to understand it. So they need to know where every penny, how every penny comes in and where every penny went. And if their conscience is good and they can affirm that, you have an aligned group on your board that'll take you down the road a long ways. It's good, good. And you know, our board uh, has ranged anywhere from nine to 12. Right now it's 12, but it's been um, as little as as nine. So, um, you know, you brought up something just about, you know, watching out for, you know, things that heresy, and I like the way you put it in, in theology, word, or even spirit, because, you know, that can create a, a toxic culture in, you know, a church. But let me ask you this. Um, what do you think, Wayne, or in both of you guys, actually, you know, what do you think makes for a toxic board? There's <laughs> a board. I can start with the board, you know, <laughs> what are the traits of a toxic board? The, the thing that came to my mind was the first thing was toxic people. Right. You know? <laughs> I, it's, honest, toxic person, you know? Right. I think that, um, and you both mentioned this. Yes, men. I think yes, men make for a toxic board. If you've got guys that are just there to rubber stamp everything that, and you know, let's acknowledge, I mean, I come about this and, uh, from a, from a, uh, a a tribe, if you will, a, ch- a church background, where um, it you know so, some boards are it's you know it, it's the uh, plurality of elders that are that are are you know running the church and 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 so on. But you know another thing on that toxic board that I was thinking of is I'm dealing with a pastor right now where a board member was talking to his worship leader who was disgruntled, and then the board member started siding with the worship leader against the pastor. And so as of this date, both the worship leader went to another church and the board member and several from the worship team all were toxified. They were all cancer, metastasized with that cancer, and they're all down the street three blocks away at another church. Wow, that's difficult. 
Yeah, that I mean, you need to have uh, toxic boards are ones where uh, confidentiality is not maintained. Where you know we we have the attitude that that we need to talk about this at the board. We need to have a resolution at the board uh, level and um, and you know resolve there that way. And um, yeah, I and what I what I started off to say earlier too is that you know coming from our tribe and our our culture, um, it's. Um, you know, God gives the senior pastor a vision and the board is there to ratify his decision and really to, you know, to provide accountability and, and so on. And uh, and some churches don't operate that way. Some boards are the plurality of elders and, you know, we together are going to, um, you know, to make the decisions and, and carry the day. So we have to acknowledge that there's differences in how people, you know, come to, uh, you know, their board meetings and how they're functioning. Um, but uh, I think that in in our system of government, um, toxic you know, toxic board members can be those guys that are just going to rubber stamp whatever the whatever the pastor wants. I want my my guys that come into the meeting. I want them, as I said earlier, I want them to come in ready to say yes, but prepared to say no if they need to. And uh, an example of that, you know, in in the past, I, I had someone that I thought I think this person would be a good addition to our board and threw the person out for nomination, and there was robust discussion, and a couple of the guys were not comfortable and had very specific reasons why they weren't comfortable, and, um, and you know, in a, in a yes-man board, that never would have happened. They would have just approved whoever I wanted, but, um, but they had good reasoning, and they weren't afraid to have that conversation, and that's a, that's a, um, a low-threshold example. That's not a high-stakes issue, but there are other high stakes issues that we talk about, you know, when we're talking about um, staffing and salaries and, and, you know, compensation packages and things like that, um, that can be a really dangerous uh, thing if we've got guys that come in as yes men. So, so that I think in answer to your question, Rob, I think that that, those are some examples of, of toxic boards. Um, Do you, do you have any specific ideas, Rob, about things you've experienced in terms of, uh, boards that were toxic? You know, I, I think what I've experienced personally is when all of a sudden there was somebody on the board or the leadership team that suddenly had, you know, really lost the vision of the church, um, was against me, the pastor, and um, and suddenly, you know, it just turned into, you know, a very toxic um, situation. And so, you know, like I kind of joke, toxic people, <laughs> that's one of the things that I've yeah. you know, experienced um, personally in, in that. And, uh, and, 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 and how about this, Rob, how about guys that um, come in with, you know, and I think Wayne, you had kind of touched on this, that they're very miserly in their approach to things. They think, you know, they have this attitude that, you know, the pastor should uh, make, uh, you know, a, a small amount of money and, and so on. And they don't consider the, the pastor's financial needs. I think that can make yeah, for a toxic that, board And well. also, I would say, you know, guys that just have their own agenda and um, and they're not really team players. You know, I'm looking for guys that are team players, not somebody that has an agenda that they want to, you know, ram through. And I've, you know, seen that happen in, in other churches as well. But what are your thoughts on that, Wayne? 
Yeah, well, first of all, you're, you're going to need to factor in um, if you're a denominational church and if you're listening to this and you're a denominational church, you're going to have to decide or factor in the fact that uh, it might be an Episcopalian kind of system or a Presbyterian. Uh, there's different polity. And in one, you have trustees that uh, the board basically is called a board of trustees and they run the church. And historically, that has become the uh, template for Presbyterian or congregational uh, Presbyterian, which is a trustee rule, uh, because pastors would come and go every few years, and the board was would throw up their hands and say, "Who's next coming in and going to change everything? And who's next going to change everything?" And Episcopalian rule is usually the pastor kind of runs the ship. He he has his hand on the helm and on the wheel, whereas. Presbyterian, you have trustees because pastors are going to turn over. So they basically run the church and the pastor is the hired gun and he's the teaching pastor. He shepherds the people, does the house calls and blessings and weddings and funerals. But the trustees basically steer the ship. Mm-hmm. And a congregational rule is sort of like majority rule. So they vote on stuff all the time at business meetings and Everything has to be sort of like voted on. So you have to see what kind of a congregational or Presbyterian or Episcopalian or modified Episcopalian that you're going to be utilizing. And you've got to work within that framework. Otherwise, you'll be a rogue and you'll be pushing against the goads at that point. So I think that's going to be something important for every pastor to recognize. And if that's not what he wants, they need to change it. And we did that. We we made some modifications on our whole system so everybody was on the same page. Okay. Um, Wayne, what are your thoughts, and actually both you guys, what, what's your thoughts on having men who are on your staff also on the board? Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I would be very careful uh, because you, you're going to have a major conflict <laughs> of interest. You can't talk about pastor salary. Uh, can't talk about staff salaries, anything financial would be uh, walking on thin ice. And if there's any um, corrective measures that have to be made, you almost have to skirt or circumvent that staff person. Uh, and then if you want to talk about that staff person, uh, he's got to recuse himself and then he already knows something's wrong. <laughs> so that's a... Right. That's, that's a wasteland. You know, you want to be careful of that. Unless that person is like 70 years old and has been around the barn a hundred times <laughs> and he's like your grandfather. Then, yeah, then no problem. Yeah. Or grandmother. I, I, yeah, I, I think I tend to agree. I've had staff members on my board, but I, I do think it's tricky for a number of reasons. All the reasons you've mentioned, uh, Wayne, and as well, you know, when you're signing somebody's paycheck, essentially... Uh, it's it's difficult to you know to refute any allegations that there's a conflict of interest and so um, so that's that's challenging um, so in general I, I I try to avoid having staff members and there are situations I think where well this staff person is going to be the best person for the job um, I had um, for for many years I had a um, uh, a guy that was on staff who actually was the treasurer of my board. But his situation was he actually took a significant pay cut to come to work for the church um, as a ministry. 
and at any moment he could leave and go make twice what he made from what we were paying him. So it really wasn't that he was beholding to us for a check. He happened to to be paid by the church by choice. But uh, you know, the but yeah, he he wasn't there by necessity, um, so to speak, financially. And then secondly, he was the best guy for the job. He actually uh, is now my current treasurer, but now he's in a different capacity. He's leading another ministry and doesn't get any support from from us as a church in that capacity. So he's come back on as our treasurer now. Um, but yeah, there's there's some exceptions, but I think in general, what you what you said, Wayne. Um, is uh, is wise, but I, but I do believe that there's exceptions to that. Yeah, I'll, I'll give this a little bit different perspective because for years I didn't have anybody on uh, our board that was on our staff except for my executive pastor. Um, he was on there with me, and we went through a season where I had some guys on our staff that was was questioning that. You know, here's the, the, the these men, a lot of businessmen, guys that were really, really, you know, busy and leading companies and that type of thing that were on our board. And the guys on our staff were asking, like, these guys don't seem like they, you know, can be as invested, you know, as we are and what's going on here. And um, so they sort of made me change my perspective a little bit. And I started bringing um, some guys on our staff on our board right now our, our board is probably three quarters not staff guys and then um a quarter that are but what we did to kind of get around that was we have a separate finance committee on our board that handles all the financial aspects and financial decisions and then they inform the board and none of those guys except for the xp is um on that finance committee. So that's the way we've kind of navigated it in order to, um, oh, I yeah. liked having the guys on, on staff on the board, because I feel like they have a better pulse of what's going on in the church than the guys who are not on staff, um, do, but, uh, so that's just been my experience. And so far it's worked pretty well. We've been doing it that way for about the last maybe 10 years. I like that. Um, we, uh, you know, because there's a difference between uh, paid staff and non-paid staff, too. So you can get guys that are from within the church that have their finger on the pulse of what's going on um, that, uh, that aren't part of your paid staff. I think that's important. On my board now, I have guys that are members of my church that are not on paid staff that are on my board, um, and as well as um, guys from outside the church. And... Um, and you know, and I like your idea about the finance committee. So many different areas we could go in. I want to, um, and when you've probably got some th- you know, some thoughts on this. So, um, so before I, I move on 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 any of these, did you have anything to, to to add to that before I turn a corner here? Yeah, it depends on the function too of your board. Some people uh, lean on their board more for financial and polity issues, and uh, some more a combination of that plus ministry issues. And for our board, primarily I lean on them for financial and polity issues, um, vision, leadership. Uh, They help me clarify vision, which is a 32,000-foot level kind of leadership. (laughs) My staff, I have an executive team. In fact, I came to do this podcast from my executive team meeting that we have weekly where we have 
uh, eight of my executive team where we do all ministry issues, yeah. quality, no financial, just uh, ministry issues. So if you can combine those, that's great. If you can't, I would separate them so that it doesn't get uh, too much crosstalk. Yeah. Um, some clarity on that. Cause that, cause that was something I was going to throw out. The guys that you have, Wayne, that are part of your executive committee, uh, are those, those are non-board members that's separate from your board. Is that accurate or? Yes. yes. Accurate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I, I do a similar thing. I have, uh, my board, which takes care of, uh, primarily financial contractual issues, those, those types of things. And then I have my pastoral staff, that we meet, uh, and the executives within that, we meet for day-to-day ministry activity and, and discussion about the general shape of the ministry. So the board gets the the update on what's happening ministry-wise, and we, we give them the the 30,000-foot view of what's happening within the ministry, but the board isn't, isn't making those day-to-day ministry decisions. Um, and, I, and so we have the guys on our board are known as our, they're the executive elders, um, or the the um, um, uh, the ruling elders, I, I should say. That's the language in our in our bylaws. They they are the ruling elders, and then um, the the you know the day to day ministry is for the pastors. So so I, I like that structure, and that's a structure that works well for many people that I know. And other guys have a different structure. Their their board of elders are as well dealing with all the ministry the ministry issues as well. I think Rob that's more of your your structure um, um, with the the uh, finance committee exception. Is that that's accurate Rob? Yeah, I would say yeah it is with and, and that's why I have guys on staff that are on there is because yeah. we're dealing with the whole, you know, picture and then there's a separate group that's dealing with the, you know, financial aspect of of things. What do you think about the idea, you know, the the discussion between having senior pastors on your board, not having um, senior pastors on the board, but guys from from within the church? I know there's a there's a whole range there, um, but uh, what I've found, and uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll I'd be interested to hear from both of you guys on this. What I've found is that one of the frustrations of having um, non um, pastoral voices on the board is that there's a lot of time sometimes that that is that is required to bring people up to speed. Um, I have uh, I have two senior pastors on my board besides myself, uh, and um, is so useful when I bring up an issue. I just see them nodding their heads. They're right there. They've been there. They've done that. They bought the T-shirt. They're, so there, there's not a lot of time that needs to be spent to, to teach them in, in an issue of ministry. So uh, our board main meetings, we get a lot of ground covered just by virtue of their experience. Um, and so I think that's a good argument for having senior pastors on your, on your board, maybe not exclusively, but certainly a few. Um, that bring their wisdom and experience, and 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 uh, and hopefully they're you know pastoring churches that are larger than ours that they're ahead of us, so they can bring that wisdom experience to bear as well. Um, but uh, but then the argument to that could be yeah, but they don't have their finger on the pulse of your ministry; they're busy doing their ministry. So your guys' thoughts on that? 
It's a broad subject. Go ahead, Wayne. Uh, you know, again, you want to split it up for context. So the contextual framework would be ministry would be for ministers and then the business portion for businessmen. So what I do is, because if I brought my staff in and began to talk about audits and talk about general excise tax, talk about HR, uh, talk about uh, different things such as the uh, finances, I would have to go through the spreadsheet and the balance sheet and try to, they don't even know how to read, you know, some balance sheet or a, a cash balance or a accrual reports. So, but businessmen, they, they got it. They know. Yeah. And so they help me a lot. And remember they're there to help me because I'm supposed to lead this thing. God's going to hold me accountable to lead this, not the youth pastor and not the businessman that sits on the board I'm going to be ultimately responsible. It falls on my desk. So I use the business people that are sharp and competent to help me make some wise, sharp, competent business decisions. But I need my ministry guys that are sharp in ministry to help me make sure that my decisions are correct in ministry decisions. So if you need to, I would break them up in two groups of leaders. So that's why I have my executive ministry team and I have my board. And uh, if I need the board to hear from the ministry team, I actually invite them into the board. They actually give their reports and they do consultation or they give inspiration, whatever it might be. Then they are dismissed. And then we deal with some uh, numbers and, you know, calculators and 10 key stuff that we have to deal with. So I don't really combine them unless it's something that like Rob, if, something that's really good for you and it works for you, combine them. For me, it's not as workable, so I keep them a little apart. Yeah, I see that. And, and Ted, to answer your question, I, I think, you know, I haven't had another senior on my board since the church I planted in Oregon. Um, however, what I have done several times is there's been situations where I felt like it would be very important for us to hear from somebody like, let's say a Wayne, you know? And so brought person in to our meeting to address and help us address um, certain issues and from their perspective and their, their experience. Um, and I've seen that to be helpful where I can have, you know, the outside influence of somebody who's a lot further along and has better, you know, insight on something than, than we would have. But for me personally, I've just wanted to keep things with, um, you know, men around me who I feel like have a pulse because I would say in our situation, my board, and I made this very, very clear when, when I first started that I didn't want them to merely be an advisory board. Um, ours, our situation would resemble a little bit more of a plurality of eldership, um, you know, at our church. And so these guys, I feel like I'm, I'm wanting them to be leading with me, but knowing, you know, the buck stops with me and I'm the one who's gonna, you know, answer to the Lord and be accountable for what's going on here. But, um, you know, like you said in the very beginning, I want to surround myself with guys that are a lot smarter than me and uh, further along. And I just really value, I really value their, 
their wisdom, their insight, you know, their heart um, on, on things. And so that's the way we've functioned. And there have been a few times where I have, you know, called upon a senior pastor or a couple of them to come and advise us on an area where maybe we were stuck or a decision that we needed to make that was just kind of, you know, over our heads, so to speak. So, uh, Rob, you mentioned that you have a finance committee. What does your finance committee handle? Um, you know, compensation packages, salaries, uh, cost of living increases, those kind of uh, discussions. Are they spearheading those t- those type of issues? No, um, they p- primarily help set the budget for the church and um, go over the various budget aspects of, of the ministries who are submitting, you know, their budgets, um, to the church. And then the, um, compensation package is done between myself and two of the guys that are part of our executive team. Okay. How about, how about you, Wayne? How do how do you guys approach, um, uh, compensation and review of those things? Yeah, I, I deal with the uh, staff uh, myself, and uh, I check the budget. I work with the finance committee, and basically the finance committee, the board has given me the latitude to make sure that the salaries are commensurate to our income, and so I do all of those. They deal with my salary and my compensation. So if I have requests, uh, they're they're really open to my requests. Uh, for, you know, if I need another computer or, you know, things like that. But usually I take care of the staff and their compensation. And uh, I I take a look at it every six months, unless I see that there's a need happening in one of them. They have a baby or, you know, they addition to their home or whatever, uh, or they're moving. I will um, write them a check and maybe a thousand or two thousand to help them get going in their new location, whatever. So I'm constantly watching the needles on on all of the staff. But formally, I take a look at it about every six months. Yeah, and what I was going to mention, Ted, for for us, um, you know, our finance committee does set my salary. Um, they they do that, and then myself and and these two other guys on our executive team do the rest. And we actually follow um, a a chart, a study that's been put out and we've determined for, you know, our church and where we, where we're at, that we want to be, you know, in the middle of that chart that we feel like that's the best for, um, you know, where our church is located and the kind of people that are coming, you know, to our church. So we don't want to be on the low end of it, but we don't, we're not necessarily on the high end of it. We're sort of in the middle or, um, of that chart. And that's, we kind of follow that in setting salaries and compensation and all of that. I, I appreciate you mentioning that, Rob, because, you know, it touches on a couple of things. One, you know, we, we, it, it is uh, it's bad form for us to be uh, deciding our own salaries, and so to to recuse ourselves from that discussion entirely, and entrusting our board to to have the discussion to determine our salary. And then the other important point that you make, Rob, is the using the industry benchmarks. And uh, for us, we use um, uh, public. It may be the publication you use, but we we rely on um, one of them is uh, Church Law and Tax Report has a church salary division and um, 
and that uh, establishes um, benchmarks for uh, representative um, uh, places across the nation that have you know your your geogra- your geographic region, your your cost of living, and so on. And uh, and so that gives us that median income. And those benchmarks that that it's just not some arbitrary number that that you're paying, and that that can be you know significant. We had we had an employee who whose need was was higher than than they were making, but man, the industry benchmark did not provide for for what this person needed to make, and it was heartbreaking because because it was a very valuable person on staff, but it was hey, this is what the position pays. We really can't justify, you know, changing that too much. And and you know, it, sometimes you take things into consideration as much as you can, but you have to at the end of the day be able to uh, have some some you know, very concrete, objective things that you can say, you know, look, this is uh, this is how we came at this decision. It's not just, you know, the, the, you know, the good old boys club to where he's a good guy and we're going to give him, you know, more because we think that he should get more. There's some accountability that's built in. I think that's important to consider. Here's another thought that just came to my mind. I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on is um, how do you go about removing? Uh, <laughs> I think we, maybe we've all experienced that one guy who, you know, just seems to be the stick in the mud, or you know, he just, um, you know, is always in left field. It seems like, or you know, how do you guys deal with that? How would you recommend dealing with that? I think with humor, you tell them a knock, knock joke, <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Not you anymore. Uh, no, <laughs> it's, it's touchy boy. That is. And, and especially like some, you know, we have the luxury, I think, uh, perhaps to be more in the driver's seat in terms of having more say and sway on the board than others are sort of, the they don't hit, get a lot of say in the board, and so the the structure if they've got a if they've got somebody on the board that they wish wasn't there they they don't have the the recourse to get a person off. I'm a big fan of of directness, and and I have invited guys off my board before. And what I do, what I have done personally, and I'm not saying this is the right way. It's just the way that I've handled it. Is that in in both instances, I had two people on my board, not at the same time, but over the years. Uh, I I went out to lunch with the person and I explained to them face to face why why I did not think that they were a fit on the board, and uh, you know had a dialogue with them about it and then you know said I I'd like to have you prayerfully consider stepping off the board um, and uh, and that saves them the embarrassment in in a board meeting you know for fronting them off. Um, and you know, gives them the dignity of I appreciate your service, but this is why I don't think you're a fit. Um, but along with that, uh, inviting them, look, if you disagree, we can have this discussion with the whole board, and um, and to be able to sit down and and talk about it. it's never come to that, but um, but but that's the way I've handled it in the past. Hey, I don't think you're a fit anymore. I think we have you know, different approach to ministry or whatever it is. Uh, how about you, Wayne? Yeah, I think uh, you, you, you'll need to think through uh, whether it's retaining a position 
and losing a relationship or maintaining a relationship, even though it might cost a position. And for me, uh, there's a book uh, by Michael Mark Court is his name, and it's on audio as well as uh, analog, but uh, uh, it's called Leading with Questions. So what I do is, you know, when there's not a fit uh, on the board or on staff, they feel it in their guts. They got the same Holy Ghost that lives in you, lives in them. And he's going to uh, talk to their conscience and they know that they're not fitting the uh, role that they should. They're not competent or they're not, they don't have the capacity for what they've been asked to do. So there's going to be consternation within their own spirit. So what I do is I take them out and just say, hey, or come into my office. Well, how do you feel you're doing? How do you feel? feel your fit is and i just lead with questions do you feel it's something that really is um, fueling your passion or draining your passion and i keep asking them questions until i can get them to say well yeah it's not that good and maybe i am yeah maybe that's not really where and then i say is there another lateral position that would fit better for you because my heart is that you fit somewhere because everybody is a 10 somewhere and then i put that fault on myself and i may be the one that has misplaced you not you you said yes and you were kind enough to comply and to that i am just honored and blessed but i need to ask your forgiveness if it's not, if it's not fitting it's my fault not yours yeah. And so let me help you as your shepherd, as a pastor, to help you to find a place that really fits for you. And I don't know, you know, if this one, you tell me. And usually about that point, they go, yeah, you're right. It's not my favorite spot. And I'm not really helping, am I? <laughs> so I say, probably not. But you are a 10 somewhere. Yeah. So where else would you rather fit? And he'll go, well, you know, I really love working with junior high kids. Good. Wow. I bet that's where God's going to anoint you like nuts, man. Wow. So if I don't help you move there, I'm sinning. Wow. Yeah, Wayne, we can we can rely on you and give it, get a phone call to you. Hey, Wayne, would you have a conversation with a friend of mine, please? <laughs> how about you, Rob? What, how do you handle it? Well, I was going to just say that uh, I think what Wayne said is brilliant, and uh, that's why he's the legend, Wayne Cordero, <laughs> and we're just who we are, Ted. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I can honestly say um, I haven't had to do that very often, um, and I've had some times where I handled it very poorly, and uh, but um, I did have a situation not not too long ago, a few years back with, uh, where I did exactly what Wayne described and it went beautiful. And that individual is, you know, still in our church and we're still friends and he's still serving. And it was just going through those same type of, of questions. Um, so I would agree, agree wholeheartedly. Um, never read that book. I'm going to read it, but yeah, I, it uh, I, I definitely, have found that has been the best. Um, if you can get people to come to that place of understanding themselves that they're not a good fit and then taking it one step further, like, like Wayne mentioned of, you know, well, let's find where you do fit because you're a 10 somewhere. Gosh, that's, that's golden. We could end this podcast right. on <laughs> right there. That was so good. Um, yeah, that so that book again, leading with questions by my Michael Marcourt. Is that correct? Yes. All right. 
great, great book uh, advisory. So that's good. Yeah, I, you know what? I've known guys that have, um, they kind of take the chicken exit with their board and they they just have everybody serve one-year terms and uh, you have to turn in your resignation at the end. Um, but what they're known for is that, uh, hey, uh, would you guys serve another year? But then, you know, suspiciously, they accept the resignation of the guy. And I'm like, he just, he can see right through what's going on. Just have the conversation with him. And um, and I'm, I'm curious about that too. You Both of you guys have three-year terms on your boards. What do you do if you've got somebody on your board who is brilliant and you really lean on them? Do you have the latitude to invite them to to stay longer or are you are you handcuffed to the three-year term how does how does that work well for me uh i you can do a couple of alternative uh, actions and one is to have them on as an advisor to the board on their year off they do not have voting rights mm -hmm. but they have influential rights. <laughs> so they can influence me, they can speak to the board. And if they are brilliant, and if they're an elder in any way, the other board will listen to them and they'll take to, into uh, account what that person is saying because he has great context or wisdom or depth. The other is if someone has been for a long time a great and wise consultant, I have a group of a smaller group of only four that I call elders. These are not ruling elders per se. We just call them the board, but elders to the church. Uh, you see in Timothy, there's, these guys are elders. Uh, to me, the board is deacons, you know, so to speak. But elders have no ten. Uh, they have no term. It's not a three-year term, five-year term. It's life term. They have a life sentence. <laughs> and, uh, so I have one guy that's 86. He's still uh, an elder to me and another that's 74. So these are usually older guys that have been around. I've known them for 40 years. They've always had great and wise things to say. And the congregation respects them as such, even without a title. So these are elders. Now, the elders are invited to every board meeting that I have, and but they do not have voting rights. Only the directors, according to our corporation bylaws, has voting rights. But our elders, when they speak, it's like E.F. Hutton. Right. Everybody shuts in. up yeah. and listens. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. For us, um, so if you went to our website and you would see where it says leadership team, which is our, it's what we call our board. And on our board, everybody who is taking their year break, they're listed on there as inactive. So it has active and inactive. And so they're listed as inactive. But what we've decided is on any major decision, like if we're buying property or if we're doing something like that, everybody who's on that team, including the inactive guys, are brought in to be a part of that um, discussion. And so the guys who are inactive and like, let's say there's a brilliant guy and I've had a couple of them who are, you know, have been in that inactive status Um we have brought them in to be a part of a meeting that we felt like was within their gift set where they had a voice to be able to, to speak to. Um, but those guys have really enjoyed, like I have one guy right now. I mean, he's just brilliant. He just retired and, and um, 
and he's enjoying the retired life right now. And he's, he's taking his year off of, uh, the leadership team, but, um, you know, on a major decision, uh, like when we were trying to figure out how to deal with COVID, um, we brought him in and he was a part of that conversation. So that's, that's the way we've navigated it. And then once, if, if the year, if their year is up and then they decide, um, that they don't want to, you know, re-up and be on the board, or maybe I'm at a place, like I've had a guy, a few guys that have said, you know, hey, I'm leaving it up to you. Do you feel like, you know, um, I'm a good fit or that, that at this time? And, and I've talked with them like, like you have, you know, Wayne, that I think, you know, the Lord's kind of leading in a different direction, but, you know, I, I feel like you have a great place over here. Um, those guys go off of our website entirely. So on our website, it's just active and inactive. And the guys who are, um, you know, have been on the board, but are no longer in either of those places are just, they're not listed anymore. So, so that's an important principle just to highlight that there are, um, there's your board and then there are advisors to your board. And those advisors may be a, an, an, in an official capacity as an advisor, which the the, ter- the the term advisor would denote that they are non-voting uh, participants in the board meeting, but then there's there's those unofficial advisors too that we that we welcome in. Um, you know, for instance, we had a, a discussion as part of our our, in, our our staff compensation. We had to go through insurances. Well, uh, we are as it turned out, our administrator was the subject matter expert on on that, and so she was invited into the board meeting to be able to speak, um, you know, very authoritatively in regards to uh, medical insurances, life insurances, and in terms and policies, and who qualified, who didn't, and all of that. And so, not an official advisor to the board, but for that particular meeting, served in an advisory capacity, very helpful. And then, as you had put it, Wayne, um, previous to this, they were then invited to to step out of the meeting for the continuance of the of, of the meeting. So that that's a that's a, a, a important principle that you bring up. Um, other thoughts what are, what are some what are some common mistakes that you guys see that could be corrected with and maybe we've already addressed it well I, I think you've mentioned already the whole idea of yes men I think that's a, a horrible mistake and I've seen you know that type of situation um, go down in such a way where it just didn't it didn't allow the the church to be led well. And, um, so, you know, we've kind of addressed that and I, there's nothing really else that comes to my mind. What about you, Wayne? Well, uh, yeah, sometimes you're going to have uh, yes men uh, that start off as yes men because they think, you know, uh, Rob, that's kind of what you're looking for. You want people to agree with you. You want people to affirm you. And so they do exactly that not thinking that they're sinning or doing anything wrong. They think they're doing exactly what you're wanting them to do. So one of the things I do to alleviate or mitigate that tendency, Rob, is to, uh, I'll ask them a question. Hey, I'm thinking about, here's the vision. It's a pretty gargantuan vision, but here it is, A, B, C, D, F, G. And then when I'm done, uh, I, I won't say this is for you, yes, men, but I will say, now I need you to ask me the most, poignant and pointed and challenging questions you can about this uh, endeavor or this initiative. Uh, 
The reason is because I haven't thought through it completely until it's totally clear in my mind. I have not exhaustively investigated every aspect of this. So if you don't ask me questions, then there's going to be blind spots in this vision that we're going to get nailed with. You need to ask me the toughest questions you can. And what it does is it helps me immensely because it points out blind spots that I would never have seen had you not asked. So I'm not going to ask you to be quiet. I'm going to finish this vision. I'm going to finish this thought that I have about this ministry or this expansion or this building program or whatever it is. And when I'm done, will you help me find blind spots? I think that's excellent. Okay. And then I finish it and then let them run. And, you know, it actually cures the yes. That's great. Help you find blind spots. I love that. I love when guys come in too, that, um, Hey, just cause it's not on the agenda doesn't mean that it's not something that needs to be discussed. And, um, that's where, you know, you want guys coming in that are driving things that are saying, Hey, you know, we haven't talked about this in a while, you know, or you kind of touched on that Wayne, when you, you know, the, the board wanting to make sure, Hey, how's your marriage? How's your family? How are you doing? Kind of, kind of questions. A uh, big part of that is observing. And another part of that is just leaning in and, and asking the tough questions. Um, and then asking other questions. Hey, we, we haven't, you know, I've noticed we haven't talked about a cost of living increase for the salary or for the staff for a couple of years. Like, like we should, we should be addressing that. I don't see that reflected in the budget or whatever. And that, that can be good. Yeah, I think that's, that's awesome. And I, I think, uh, I know for us, I think the idea of the, I love what you said earlier, Wayne, about the board being primarily their job, you know, to take care of the pastor. And uh, I think in, in our situation, our board could be a little bit better on that. And I feel like I need, I need to stress that that is, you know, part of their role. One of the things that I'll do, I'd love to get your guys thoughts on this is um, I will usually send out an email prior to our meeting that has a bit of an agenda to it. Sometimes I'll even send out maybe a couple of weeks ahead of time, something that I'm thinking about. And I'll send that out either in a video or I'll send it in a email. And I want them to be praying so that when we meet, they have already been praying about it and, and we can address it. And, um, or a lot of times we'll, you know, talk about something and then we'll take two weeks to just pray about it. And then we come back together. And, um, and what I usually do, and this has been so amazing is, um, I want to hear from them. I want to hear, I, like I said, I'm using them to confirm what I feel like God is saying to me. And so I'm always in those meetings when we've come back from praying, I'm the last guy to talk. I'm not the first guy to talk. And so I'll start asking, so what's God showing you? What's he saying to you? And we go around the room and it's amazing how, you know, it builds on, you know, well, hey, I was reading here and God showed me this. And the next guy goes, oh, that really goes with it. You know, I was studying here and God was showing me this and it comes around and, you know, great confirmation. But there has been a few times, like you mentioned earlier, Ted, where we're not all on the same page. And when that happens, um, even though our bylaws are set up, 
you know, majority rule. We really, really on big things, we want to be unanimous. And we feel like, you know, if the Holy Spirit is talking to all of us, we should, you know, be able to hear the same. And so if that doesn't happen, we'll, we'll curb something. We'll put it on the shelf. We'll continue to pray. Um, but I was just wondering, do you guys send out, you know, like a, uh, an agenda or things to be thinking about prior to the meeting, or you just lay it out when everybody comes in? Yeah, my assistant sends out an agenda, uh, but I run it because uh, there are several boards that uh, we're, we have around our ministry. And so we have a board for the college aspect of because it's New Hope Church and College. So the college is its own 501c3. So we have a board for that. And then we have one for the church. Then we have one for New Hope International, which oversees our missions as well in Asia and Australia, etc. So we have several boards. So the my assistant will send um, via the chairman a, a template or a suggested agenda. The board chair then tweaks it and sends it back. I then look at it, add any last and final things, and then it's sent to the board members one to two weeks in advance. So we do that for sure, because none of the board members want to be surprised by anything. Yeah, I agree with that. And we do the same thing. I, I don't want to lay out, you know, lay something on the board when they've just, they're just now hearing it. And then, hey, I need you to vote on this. It's like, I, I need time to walk with this. I need time to pray over this. So I agree. We, we send it out ahead of time. Um, and I give them as much information I can. So the agenda, if we're, if we're going to be resolving a budget, then, we are, then they're getting a copy of that budget with plenty of time to, to ask questions. And then as far as uh, you know, the staff is concerned, all of my staff knows anybody on the board calls and wants to know anything about anything the, you give them whatever they want. You give them whatever they're asking. So, um, so we're just getting ready, and we're doing it a little early this year. Um, but, but this in the month of September, we're actually going to be uh, ratifying our 2022 budget. We normally do that in in November, um, but uh, we're doing things a little sooner this year. So, yeah. Well, I have one final question because um, I know we've kind of been at this a little while now. But, and thank um, you guys both for giving the time to this because this is one of those issues where it can be that way. <laughs> we can do a couple on these. So yes, right. Wayne, thank you for so much for your time. Um, but I was just curious, especially Wayne, you're talking about being on three different boards now that you have at your church. And I'm sure you're probably on some others. Um, how often do your boards meet? Do you meet monthly, quarterly, or when necessary, what? how does it work for you guys? Uh, it depends. If we're on a project, Rob, that uh, requires our attention, we will meet monthly for a season until we make sure that we nail this baby. And then we go to quarterly. So usually the norm is quarterly. Every two to three months we will meet and about four times a year. Unless there's a big project taking place, then we will meet monthly. Uh, our international board meets quarterly, uh, period. Uh, if we have any urgent matters, we will do what we call action without meeting. It's sent out via email, and then uh, they can vote without actually having a meeting. But normally, it's quarterly. Yeah, we're similar. We do a quarterly um, schedule, and then we can either uh, cancel one if there's really nothing compelling 
uh, no resolutions to be made. If, if it's just updating people, we can do that by email. Or conversely, if we need something, just one issue, then sometimes we'll handle that by email. Um, but in general, it's, it's quarterly. Um, and last year, it was bi-yearly. So we had, we had, we had two last year. Awesome. Well, Wayne, thanks so much for being with us today. Really enjoyed this conversation. Your wisdom and insight is always uh, really, really appreciated. So thanks for taking the time. Well, it's my honor, Rob. Thank you, Ted. Appreciate all of you and all that you're doing. God bless you, Wayne. We're so glad to have you back and for your wisdom. I agree. Just thank you. God bless you. God bless. Thank you for listening. Our goal with this podcast is to help you lead well through all seasons and challenges of ministry life. So we'll see you next time on the Leadership Collective.